I would encourage you, even though we already read John chapter 4, I would encourage you to open your Bibles here. We're going to look at that again. And uh, if you have a smartphone, you can open that up uh, to the Bible app, if you have the Bible app on it, and you can follow along there. The scripture will be there, as well as a few notes that you might want to follow. You can take your own notes as well, so that can be a handy tool if you like that. So 1929, Coca-Cola had a great slogan that they introduced, and it went like this, Coca-Cola the pause that refreshes. Don't you love that? And, and that sold a lot of Coca-Cola. In fact, they still recycle that very phrase from time to time. Uh, you might recognize it from seeing it when you went to an antique store or something you saw the advertisement, but it's been around and around and around because everybody wants to be refreshed and everybody wants a little bit of a pause. And what Coca-Cola is telling you is if you want those things, you want Coca-Cola. You want our beverage because it is refreshing. Now, I don't think that they stole that line from Jesus, but Jesus did use that kind of language just about 1,900 years before Coca-Cola did when he spoke about living water. He said, I have the water that refreshes. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is how Jesus offers this living water that we read of earlier uh, to all of us. I'm gonna ask you a question though as we begin. I wanna ask you this question. How would you describe your spiritual life I mean, what words would you use? What adjectives would you use to say, this is what my spiritual life feels like? It feels kind of routine. Is that a word you'd use? It feels a little difficult. It feels kind of lifeless. It feels kind of mundane. My spiritual life seems stagnant. It seems laborious. It seems stressful. It seems disappointing. It seems burdensome. Now, I want to say to you that from time to time, probably all of us, feel that way about our spiritual life. It is just common to those of us who live in a fallen world. But I want to say that if that is your general feeling about your spiritual life, if those are the kind of words you use to describe what you're feeling spiritually on a regular basis, there might be a problem. Because the way Jesus wants you to feel about your spiritual life is that it's pleasant, even joyful, that it is blossoming and exhilarating, that it's fruitful and fulfilling, and that it's fresh. I'm not saying that you should always feel that way. I mean, great men and women of the Bible, I'm sure I think of Elijah immediately, life has ups and downs. We understand that. But in general, I feel that this is how Jesus wants your faith to be, because Jesus wants your faith to be alive. And it can be alive. 2019 can be the beginning of a year when you realize that your Christian faith is not stagnant, but it's, it's living. And we read from John chapter 4 earlier today how, how Jesus makes, offers a living kind of faith. In fact, there's two verses in that whole narrative that really stand out to point us out. It's John 4, starting in verse 13, where Jesus answers this woman and says, everyone who drinks of this water, and he's talking about the water in the well of Jacob, one of the patriarchs, the fathers of the faith. He dug that thousands of years earlier. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to life. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about this living water. And the first thing I want you to notice about this water is it is universally desirable. Everyone 
wants living water. The, the woman in his story wants this living water. She says to him in verse 15, immediately after he describes it there, she says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw the water. Even though she doesn't really understand what Jesus is saying, she's on to something. And she knows this water is desirable. It is universally desirable. Everyone wants it. Now, you may not have given it a second thought, second thought personally. You know, you may think to yourself, eh, I don't know that I really have desired it that way. But whether you understand it or not, there is within you a thirst, a hunger that wants what Jesus is talking about. He is offering just what we need, even though we might not even realize what it is that we need. You understand, in Jesus' day, living water meant fresh water. It was like cool water from a spring or a pure stream trickling down. And there was a direct contrast between that and the water that was at room temperature sitting in the house in a jar. That was stagnant water. Water drawn from a well, that is stagnant water. Water that has been in a cistern, that is stagnant water. Jesus says, that's not the kind of water I'm talking about. I'm talking about fresh water, like water from a spring that is refreshing, that is alive. He takes that concept that everyone understands the good tasting fresh water right out of a cool spring compared to that water that's just been in the refrigerator a little too long. And he says, I'm offering you the good stuff. I'm offering you living water. The water the Samaritan woman is used to is nothing like that. Probably the only water she has ever had in her entire life was water drawn from that well. It was Jacob's well. It was good water but it wasn't as good as spring water. It wasn't living water. It wasn't fresh water. It wasn't a lie. And so Jesus says to her, listen, I'm offering you something better. I'm offering you something more significant. I'm offering you what you desire because Jesus understands that living water is universally desirable. On top of that, living water is universally satisfying. Jesus says that. He says, this water will satisfy you. Now, the woman in this story is someone whose life probably hadn't turned out as she's planned. She had five husbands, and now she is living with a sixth man that she's not married to. I don't think there's anyone who says, let's get married, stands before an altar, and says, I take you to be my first wedded husband. I'm planning on four more. That sounds good to me. I'm planning on four different wives. Nobody does that. Everyone who has any sense of moral compass, any sense of moral fabric, when they stand there, say, I want this to be for life. And I'm sure that she wanted that for be, to be for life. But life wasn't turning out the way she planned. And I doubt that she felt satisfied with her life the way it was. But Jesus offers her satisfaction straight from the start. And he does that with everyone. But a lot of us, we're kind of slow to catch on. In fact, I'm guessing that some of you have heard sermons on living water before. Maybe you've taught Sunday school classes or small groups about living water. And you said, yeah, I get the living water thing. I'm not really sure it's everything it's cracked up to be. Here's why. Because we're slow to catch on. If you have thought about living water, learned about living water, kind of tuned into what Jesus said here about living water, and, and you don't sense the value of it, that is not a fault with the living water. That's a fault with you and me that we're kind of slow to get it. It's kind of like coffee. If you like coffee, you'll probably get this. If you don't like coffee, I'm sorry for you. You should like coffee because it's good for you. 
But if you like coffee, you probably didn't like your first sip of coffee. And I understand some of you may have. Just set that aside for a minute and think like the rest of us for a second. I can remember that first time I tasted my parents' coffee. I'm like, this is gross. How can they even like this? This just isn't good. And little by little, I drink. I say, yeah, that's okay. But man, that's not good. I tried to put cream in it. That didn't fix it. I tried to put sugar in it. That didn't fix it. I tried to put cream and sugar in it. That didn't fix it. Nothing was fixing it. It just wasn't good at first. But something happened in your life, coffee drinker, that you changed from saying, I don't really see the value in this coffee to saying, I'm not sure I could make it through my day without this coffee. <laughs> Something changed that you just had a profound appreciation of the coffee. And that something was just time and exposure to it. I want to suggest to you that the living water can be that way. That if you've heard about sermons on living water, you've thought about it, you're like, yeah, I get that, but it's just not making it for me. It's probably because we are slow to understand. But I would say to you that as you continue to pursue the living water, eventually you will say, I don't know how I ever made it through my days without the living water of Jesus Christ. I don't know how I made it without that. And while coffee is not universally satisfying, I've heard that there are people out there who actually don't even like it. Living water, it is universally satisfying universally satisfying and universally overflowing. When living water is yours, it automatically springs up within you. Jesus says so. He says it in verse 14. He says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, it will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When you have living water, it shows. People who don't have living water, they lack spiritual vitality and it shows. Their Christian faith feels like a duty, if they have any Christian faith at all. It feels burdensome. It feels like a responsibility, something they have to do, and they have to carry. Now, I'm not saying that Christians don't have any duties or responsibilities or burdens. I'm saying that should not be the distinguishing characteristic of your life. Jesus doesn't say, if you have the living water, then your life will be marked by a burdensome drudgery that is ugly and painful, and that is not the Christian life. He says, living water will spring up within you, and people who have the living water, there is a spiritual life that flows from them, and it shows. People know it. There's joy, even in the midst of heartache. There's peace, even in the midst of conflict. There's calm, even in the midst of troubles. There's life, even in the midst of of death. Living water. It's universally desirable. It's universally satisfying. It's universally overflowing. So if it's all these good things, then why doesn't everybody have this living water? Well, one reason is it's because it comes from Jesus. And some people have never really met Jesus. That's how this woman was. She had never met Jesus. She'd never encountered him, had no opportunity to. And so she had no idea that there even was any living water even though she was thirsty for it. She didn't even know it existed. All she knew was the water of Jacob and the ancient Israelites. All she knew was the, consider this phrase, it's carefully chosen, the staleness of walking in law. That's all she was accustomed to, that which was given her by the patriarchs. And what Jesus was offering her, and hear this phrase, it's chosen carefully was the refreshment of walking in grace. It was a whole different beverage. 
If you've never experienced Jesus, then you're stuck with that stagnant water. Let me kind of elaborate on this, if you would. Uh, Some people don't know Jesus at all, and they don't know him because they live in remote areas. Maybe they live in, in a jungle in Africa or something like that. They never heard the name Jesus. Some people don't know Jesus at all because they live right in our community, and yet they've not really gotten, there's a difference between Santa Claus, the Grinch, and Jesus. It's kind of like they throw it all together in the same bowl and think it's all the kind of the same fairy tale thing. And because they don't know Jesus, and because Jesus is the one who gives living water, then they have no living water. Some people, however, do know about Jesus, but they've never had a life-changing encounter with him. For the most part, the reason they haven't had a life-changing encounter with Jesus is because they've never come to the place in their spirit where they've admitted they need him. And if you do not admit your need to have your sin forgiven and to have your shame blotted out, then you never really will come to Jesus and ask for that, and you'll never know him, and you'll never have the living water. So some people don't know Jesus because they've never met him personally. Some people don't have the living water because they've never met Jesus personally. Some people don't have the living water because they've never fully embraced Jesus. They understand the gospel. They know that they have sinned. They knew from their childhood that Jesus died for their sin. They have asked him to forgive their sin. And in a small way or a large way, they're trying to follow him. But they've never fully embraced him. A friend of mine used to say it this way. Pastor, they're saved and they're satisfied. Not in a good way. They're saved. I know that Jesus died for my sins. And they're satisfied. And I know there's probably something better for me that he has in store, but I'm kind of just going to stay here. Now, I can remember the first time I spoke regarding this, and I can remember some of my church leaders in my first church said, I don't think that's biblical. Yes, it is. You can be saved and not have living water flowing out of you. The Christians in Corinth were referred to by the Apostle Paul as saints. And yet, the Apostle Paul said this about them. I would like to address you as spiritual, but I can't because you are carnal or fleshly or worldly. And their carnality was just arguing about who was the better spiritual leader for them. Some of you say I'm a Paul. Some of you say I'm of Apollos. And he said, living water, Paul didn't say this, but it's fact. Living water is not going to flow from that. That's not going to flow from that. They kind of, they're saved and satisfied They come to the party, but they never sit down at the table. Have you seen that? It's not unusual, sadly. They kind of want to be there, but they're not there entirely. And they're, they're still embracing stagnant water. And they may even be a little offended that I would suggest such a thing as this, that I would suggest they're missing something. I find that offensive, Pastor Steve. Well, so did this woman. I mean, when Jesus begins to speak to her, suggesting she misses missing something, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? You get what she's saying. She's saying, wait a minute, stranger. Are you suggesting there's something better than that which the patriarchs, what I've always been taught, that that gave me the stuff that came through them? Jesus says, yeah. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what I'm saying. And if you want it, you're going to have to fully embrace Jesus. Have you ever gone out 
to your car with your hands really full of stuff. Got an armload of stuff, right? And you get out there to your car and you got your keys and, and you got your little beeper, you know, beep, beep, and the car door unlocks and you're putting your fingers under there and you're, you're trying to get it and then you realize my $800 cell phone is laying right on top of this pile of stuff and that's cement down there. Has that ever happened to you? That, that happens to me from time to time. Because if my hands are full of all that stuff, it is a dangerous thing to be trying to unlock that door and open that door. In fact, at times, it's an impossibility. And someone with a better brain than my own would say, I'm going to put all this stuff down, I'm going to open that door, and then I'm going to pick it up and get into the car and close the door behind me. Because someone with a better brain than mine knows that if my hands are full of other things to overflowing, then I can't take on something new, even something as small as opening a car door. That's the way it is with the living water. You know, it's Rick, not Rick, Rob Reamer, who uses the illustration of a suitcase. You got a suitcase full of garbage. Don't think you're going to put the Holy Spirit in there. I get that. I get that. So until we are willing to cast aside our, quote, religious ways of thinking, and until we're willing to put aside our man-made crutches that we have to make us feel good about ourselves and our faith, and until we're even willing to forsake errant teaching we might have been taught about what it means to be a Christian man or a Christian woman, our hands will be too full with that to truly embrace Jesus, and we will never have the living water. We just won't have it. Don't be satisfied with the stagnant water when there's living water to be had. Embrace Jesus with all you have in 2019. Let me give you another reason not everyone has this living water. It's because some haven't realized this is for them. It's for us. There's kind of a tendency inside the church to think that some levels of Christian faith are only available to certain people. Like, okay, well, rivers of living water flow from Jesus and probably from the apostles and probably from maybe the pastor and a few missionaries. Maybe the pastor's wife and my Sunday school teacher but it's not for all of us. And, and that kind of thinking, it's really well illustrated in Roman Catholicism. That's what a monastery is for. That the monks go there and they, they get close to God and they get the living water. But me, I'm just a businessman. I'm just a laborer. I'm just a homemaker. I can't expect to experience living water from God, right? Wrong. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the last century, notes that this story of the woman at the well follows immediately after the story of Nicodemus in the Gospel of John. And you could not find in Scripture two people more different than Nicodemus and this nameless woman. Let me give you some examples. Number one, Nicodemus was a male. This woman was a female. And that's a problem in first century thinking. Not a problem to Jesus, but in first century thinking, that was a big difference. Number two, Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was actually on a council. He was one of those guys. And this woman was a religious nobody. Number three, Nicodemus was respected in the community. People were probably like, hey, whoa, Nicodemus is here. What's up with that? I wonder what he's doing here. This woman, many Bible scholars conjecture, is probably at this well in the heat of the day in order to avoid 
all the gossiping tongues that would be, oh, what is she doing here first thing in the morning? Because she is not well-respected. Nicodemus had a pedigree. I am guessing he could trail his family tree all the way to David and maybe even if he worked hard enough, right to Father Abraham. This woman was a Samaritan. And what they did is intermarried with foreign people, which God strictly, strictly prohibited. So she's, she's mixed race. And that's not just a racial issue. That's a racial and a religious issue in the first century. And yet, who does Jesus offer the living water to? He doesn't mention it to Nicodemus, but he offers it to this woman. In verse 16, it says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. Uh, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands, have had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you said is quite true. By the way, I have some living water for you. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture of grace. And it's a reminder that this living water isn't just for some religiously elite people. It is for men and it is for women. It is for Bible experts and it is for new believers. It is for upstanding people and it is for people who wish they could go and hide because of what they've done. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, don't let the devil persuade you that you have all you're ever gonna get. There's living water for you. So what is it? I mean, what is the living water? Well, Jesus actually gives us that information in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, Jesus is at this feast, a festival, and it says in verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty, well, that sounds familiar, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from them. Okay, now here it is. This is the key, verse 39. By this, Jesus meant the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The living water is the Holy Spirit of God. He is actually a gift from Jesus. Do you remember that guy in high school, ladies? Do you remember that guy in high school, who thought he was God's gift to women. Do you remember that guy? He wasn't. But the Holy Spirit of God is God's gift to us. God's gift to us. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And then he identifies him, the Spirit of truth. That's the Holy Spirit. He says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. You see, the Bible teaches something that other religions lack. It teaches that God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Three persons existing in one being. A very mysterious thing. No one can get their head around it. We give it a label, we call it the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, I tell this again and again because it is such an important thing to understand that the Holy Spirit is like Jesus. And I often hear people say, I just wish Jesus was here right beside me. Jesus actually says at one point, it's good for you that I'm going to the right hand of the Father because if I don't, then the Holy Spirit will not be able to be in you. But since I'm going, 
I'll send him. And that's better. And so those moments that you feel like, I just wish I had Jesus right here beside me, you're saying, I would trade the presence of the Holy Spirit inside me for Jesus beside me. And that doesn't make sense at all. Because when Jesus uses that word, I will give you another advocate. The word another is really important. In Greek language, there are two words for another. There's one word meaning another of the same kind, and there's another word meaning another of a different kind. And this is what I repeat, because it is so important that you get. For example, if we were talking about transportation, we might say a Chevrolet is a form of transportation, and a Dodge is another of the same kind. Chevys and Dodges, they're both automobiles. Then, if we were using the other Greek word, we would say a Learjet is one form of transportation, and a donkey is another of a different kind. Do you see the difference between this another and that another? When Jesus says, I will give you another advocate, he uses this word, meaning another of the same kind. And so when you have the Holy Spirit, this living water inside you, that's inside you, you have God inside you. The Holy Spirit is a living water. And he is offered to you personally. Jesus came to Samaria personally to deliver this living water to this woman in person. Most people in Jesus' day would have gone around Samaria. The Jews didn't even like going into that part of the area. You know, it's like, I'm driving around that. Kind of like you might drive around Washington, D.C. rather than going through it. I'm not speaking about those who serve there. I'm just speaking about the city in general, okay? They would not go through Samaria because no one in their right mind would want to be around those people. They would go around it. But Jesus went through it, presumably so that he could deliver this living water to this thirsty heart. And when he gets there, his disciples go into town to get something to eat, and he is there alone. And she is there alone. And it even takes her by surprise that he takes the initiative to speak to her personally. Their races and their genders don't allow that to happen generally. And Jesus speaks to her personally about things in her life that cause her shame without adding to the shame. Because it's just you and me now, Jesus says. And we can talk about these things. We say, rightly so, that Christian faith is personal. But by that, we don't mean that it's personal in a sense that it can be whatever you want it to be. In fact, the the sentence that begins with this phrase, well, the God I believe in is a nonsense sentence because you don't get to say what God's like. You don't personally get to define him. He defines himself. That's why he says to Moses when he offers his name, I am that I am. You don't get to define him. So when we say Christianity is a personal faith, we're not saying you personally get to make God the way you want him. What we're saying is that he comes to you personally. He comes to you distinctly. He offers to you personally this living water, just like he offered it to this woman at the well. It's really important to believe and to know that this living water is for you consistently and constantly. One big difference between living water and stagnant water is that you cannot store living water. Do you understand that? 
I can go out to the spring. When I grew up, there was a spring on our farm. We could fill up a jar there if we wanted to. I could fill it with that fresh water. And as soon as I bring it in and set it on a kitchen table, it ceases to be living water because now it's in a jar and it's stagnant. You cannot store, you cannot hoard living water. And I think God gives us a picture of this in the Old Testament when the people of Israel were in the desert and God was providing manna, food for them that was on the ground fresh every morning. If you tried to take some of that, put it in a jar and save it for the next day, it was full of maggots. You couldn't store that food and you cannot store the living water. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is something that that runs through you and therefore from you. Let me say that more correctly. The Holy Spirit is someone who runs through you, who runs from inside of you to others. Kind of means two things to you and me. If the Holy Spirit is there for me consistently and constantly, then I need to be connected to the source. And that would be to Jesus. And I need to connect through his word to him. I need to connect through worship. Worshiping alone when I'm by myself and worshiping with a group of people. Man, Christmas Eve, when we sang O Holy Night, (laughs) Eric Rolls is standing in the back and I'm standing inside singing O Holy Night and the tears are just coming down my face because I love that song and I am so worshiping God. And I turn around and I look and there's Eric Rolls and here's what he did, you know, two men, one of them's crying, you know. Eric didn't go like, (laughs) you sissy. He didn't do that, okay. Here's what he did. He went like, yep, yep, yeah. It was worship. And the way that you connect to God, to Jesus, is through his word and through worship, both with a group of people like we're doing this morning and by yourself, with Christian music and even through prayer. Not just giving him a list of things. God bless mom and dad and Jane and John and Lisa and Johnny and Miss, you know, not just that, but through talking to him about your day and asking him how you can glorify him through your day and connecting with your church family. That's what small groups are for. So you can splash some of that living water around on one another. The first thing it means to us, if he needs to be there constantly and consistently, is we need to be connected to him constantly. The second thing it means, if we want living water, we're going to have to overflow because we can't store it. It's got to flow from us as well. And we need to be intentional about what comes out of us. Now, Jesus says in another place, it's not what goes into a person that makes them clean or unclean, it's what's coming out of them. So that means I need to monitor what comes out of me. And I need to allow the Holy Spirit of God, this living water, to let things like love, and blessing, and friendship, and encouragement, and hope, and praise, and faith flow from me. That's the living water. He is there for me consistently. He is there for you consistently and constantly. So, what is your spiritual life like? How would you describe it? Routine? Disappointing? non-existent, difficult, lifeless, mundane, burdensome, stressful, laborious, as stale as last week's Christmas cookies. What's your spiritual life like? It doesn't have to be any of those things. You can trade in that stagnant water for fresh, living, flowing stream from the spring of the Spirit of God. Living water. First, you have to encounter Jesus. You have to come to a place in your life where you're finally willing to come clean about your sin. And you have to say to him, this is my sin. I don't like it. I'm embarrassed to show it to you, but this is my sin. That's called confessing your sin 
to God. And you need to say, I trust you, Jesus, that when you died on the cross, you died to remove that sin. You paid for that sin with your death. I trust you. I want you. I will follow you. And then you receive the living water. The Bible says that anyone who is trusting Christ that way, anyone who's trusting like has the Spirit within them. And so he comes and he resides in you. And then, as you surrender to him, he begins to fill you and it wells up. If you want the living water, I would like to pray with you that God would give it to you, that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit as you go from here. I'm going to ask the musicians to come, and as they come, I'm going to ask you if you would please stand. Stay with me. So my wife said to me this morning, how's your sermon? She's the best thing in my life next to Jesus, right? How's your sermon? And I just turned the screen to her. I said, read this. And it's the prayer. We're going to pray together. And she said, that'll do. (laughs) Here's where we are. If you're not sure that you've ever made your peace with God, then, then pray this prayer with me. Make it your prayer. In the silence of your heart, I'm not asking you to pray out loud. In the silence of your heart, make this your prayer. If you know that your sins are forgiven, I asked God to do that a long time ago, but you feel that for some reason in your life, the living water is not flowing from you, then continue and pray this prayer with me because this prayer covers all of it. Let's bow our hearts together and in the silence of your thoughts, speak to God with words like these. Father in heaven, I want the living water. I need the fullness of the Spirit in my life. I desire to find my satisfaction in Him, the Holy Spirit, so I can stop chasing things that don't satisfy. I want to be overflowing with You, Holy Spirit. Father, some of us turn our hearts to You maybe for the first time. We realize we have sinned. There are things of which we are ashamed. And we open our heart, we confess those sins to you, and we turn away from them. We believe Jesus died to free us from our guilt and to release us from our shame. We fully embrace you, Jesus. We let go of the things that would crowd you out of the central place in our life. And without reservation, we put you on the throne of our heart. We know that the fullness of the Spirit is for each of us. We know that we don't have to be a pastor or an elder or a monk in a monastery. We see that we could be a woman with a shameful past who wants a better future. That is who we are. And so fill us with this living water. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We realize, Holy Spirit, that you are a gift sent from the Father at the request of the Son. We realize, Holy Spirit, that you want to fill each of our hearts personally. And we realize that we need you, Holy Spirit, to flow through us from the heart of God to our own heart, to the heart of those we encounter. We ask you to make this so. 
in Christ's name. Amen.